All right. Well, good to see you guys. I know our ushers are working hard. Make sure everybody gets a seat. It's exciting to be in a church where it's full because people are getting baptized. Amen. It's a good day. Well, if I haven't met you yet, my name's James. I'm the pastor here. I know we've got some visitors in the house, and uh, hopefully everybody got a service guide as they're coming in. There's actually a, a connection card on the back page of that, and uh, that's just one of the ways that we can help serve you. If you've got uh, prayer requests, anything that's going on, of course, we'd love to get your personal information, your first-time visitor. We'd love to meet you. You can, you can actually go out to our Welcome Center. Our, our folks out there love to give you a free gift just for coming and hanging out with us today. Um, but you can also just drop it in the, the tithes and offering buckets as they're passed a little later on. But I'm, I'm just really thankful that you're here. Uh, we're going to, we're actually, uh, we've got a, a message today that, that we made the decision to go ahead and, and break it into two parts. And we don't, we don't always do that, but uh, just wind up getting a lot of content. So we're going to break it into two parts. Um, we're going to do half of it today, but the, the subject matter is all about finding your place. Uh, more specifically, finding your place at the table. And uh, I want to get to that word, but I want to I first mention that this week is one of the most important weeks that we have as a church. Um, because every year we, we spend a little bit of time seeking the Lord's face, praying, fasting something. Uh, some fast food, some fast social media, some fast coffee, some fast, a lot of different things. But the point is that we're, we're pushing something back so that we can bring God in and and we're going to be kicking that off tonight, and we're, we'll give you some more details about what's going on for the rest of this week, and, and uh, but we've got things going on this week. That tonight, we're going to start with a night of worship, and there's no better way to, to kind of get into the presence of God and to worship together, and I'm really excited about next Sunday because we're doing something we haven't done before. We're kind of having more of a community worship night where I've, I've invited other churches, and there's going to be several other pastors that are going to be joining me here on stage, and we're going to be praying together over different things and for our city, community, for students, our nation. And, and I'm really excited about that. But, but every once in a while as a pastor, I, I would implore you, I, I, if I could scream, I would. And sometimes maybe I do get a little too loud. But, but to just to get something in you in regards to the importance of something that we're doing. And anybody that's raising kids, you know what it's like when sometimes your kids are just like running through the house and you say something just kind of offhand, like, eh, make sure you shut the door behind you or make sure you turn off the lights. And they don't, but you say it anyway. And, and, um, but, but every once in a while, you need to tell them something that you need them to stop and listen. So you'll grab them and you'll grab their face. Are you listening to me? This is important. Well, this is one of those moments for me as your pastor where I'm grabbing your face like, please get this. We have pastors that will visit our church from around the world. And sometimes they'll ask us the question, what, why do you think it is that God's hand is on your church? Well, first of all, we're the first ones to recognize that it's not just our church that God's hand is on. And, and we're not the best church around. We're just, we're just trying to be the best at the flavor of church that God's given us. But, but if we were gonna answer the question, so much of the answer would, would be because of what we're getting ready to do this next week. Because we take some time, we just say, God, the number one priority, we know that we can't have the year that, that you would want us to have and that we wanna have if we don't spend some time hearing from you. And that's more than just the vision that God's given us for a church, but God has something he wants to say to you personally, 
and I'm just, I'm just asking you with, from the bottom of my heart, please make it a priority to get with your family, to, to, to get around the word of God, to get around prayer, to get rid of something so that, so you can get more of him. And tonight, we're having this night of worship, but I also know that the Cowboys are playing. We have any Cowboy fans in the house? Any Cowboy fans in the house? Okay, you just worship louder at that than you have the whole service. But here's the thing. Um, and and I'm, I'm thankful you guys actually get to dust off all your Cowboy gear and finally wear it with some pride because you haven't been able to do that in a really long time. But I just hate it when you waste money on stuff. But... Uh, I don't think God necessarily cares anything about football. I know you're offended by that probably, but I just can't see anything in the word that indicates he's like a big sports fan. Uh, but if he is, DVR the game. Come and worship him. Maybe he'll give you some favor. <laughs> just saying, it's worth a try. I'm going to state the obvious. God is more important than football. <laughs> now, don't clap because we can amen that all day long. But when push comes to shove, we've got to say, God, you are more important. You're more important. What, what you want to do for an entire year is a lot more important than what's going to happen in the NFL for the next two weeks. And we're interested in what you're interested in. And we're going to show you that we're interested in it. Um, so if you guys will make that effort, everybody say amen to that. How many of you parents remember the excitement and the joy of having your first child? How many parents in here remember that? Remember that? might have been chaotic for you. I remember when, when Cody and I were first having our oldest, London. And, oh man, it was, it was not the way that you want to start out having kids. Because she labored for 56 hours. <laughs> And that's how we know she's a Christian. And uh, <laughs> although it, it, she was close a few times in that process, but she actually labored at home for a little bit. And I was a little bummed because, like, my whole deal was the car ride to the hospital. That's, like, where the man gets to kind of, you know, do his thing. And so I'm, like, just kind of waiting around, like, man, you ready to go to the hospital yet? Because, like, I'm ready. And when we finally made the decision, yeah, let's go ahead and go, I was like, it's on. So I was going to drive my little Hyundai as fast as I could drive it. I mean, it was, and, and you know, driving with hazards on, knowing that you could get pulled over, not get a ticket because um, she's having a baby, you know, and, and that's awesome. I love that. I love that part. Get to the hospital, you know, the chaos of all that, getting in there and thinking, man, this baby's coming any moment. Forty-something hours later, <laughs> she came. It was so amazing. Here's the thing, though, like, what I'm getting ready to say, some of you will have a tendency to judge me, but don't judge. I was always under this impression, like, when your baby's born, it's going to be like this cute, cuddly. <laughs> and when London was born, she, she was like a slimy purple grub worm, like, just like... <laughs> Oh, she's beautiful, baby. I think she got your nose. Maybe. 
She, she looked like a VeggieTales character dipped in syrup. That's what she looked like. It was like, <laughs> but you love them. You're excited. You want to kiss them, just not then. Just not, not right then. God gets so excited when he gets a new son or daughter. I don't, he never, the excitement never wears off. You know, any of us have multiple kids, you get to like three, you're like, all right, yeah, it's born. (laughs) Feed it. (laughs) Sleep it. Change it. Graduate it. (laughs) But I don't think God ever gets bored of having a new son or daughter. But honestly, I don't know that, that you you or, 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 or me, we, I don't know that we ever really understand what it means to be a son or daughter until we know what it's like to join him at his table. Like when we find our place in him, I think that's when being his son or daughter becomes a reality. What are some of the qualities around a table? Well, hope, you know, these things probably exist at your table. Hopefully, it's got some love around your table. You know, where you, I, no, I want you to know, I love, I love doing life with the people I get to do life with. I love doing life with my family. I love doing life here with you. I love that. Uh, but not everything's always lovey-dovey around the table. I mean, ar- around the table, sometimes there's some friction, a little bit of friction. Because every, in every family, you got like, the drunk uncle and the political activists and the comb-overs and the mouth breathers and the, you know, just, you got the people that create this friction around the table. And it's not always difficult because you got drama queens and drama kings and the hypochondriacs and the just, you know, the Debbie Downers there. And you also have some confusion, some confusion. I remember the first time I got to move up from the kids' table to the adult table. But I didn't, I mean, they didn't train me in table etiquette, dinner etiquette. They didn't train me in all that. So I just showed up and I was just so excited because I was like, man, look how tall it is. And, and, and food seems better here. But I, then I like looked down and I'm like, why so many spoons and forks? Like, what, what do I do? I don't understand. And then, and then they start passing food clockwise around the table, but I don't know what's going on, so I'll just start stacking up right in front of me, and I'm like, oh, I am an honored guest, and I'm just pouring that stuff on my plate, but I'm at my grandparents' house. My granddad, granddad's old retired Air Force colonel looks across and says, son, you enjoying your food? Like, yes, sir, this is awesome, this is great, and he's like, we would like some as well. Do you care to pass the food? I'm like, oh, oh, hi. I did not realize. And then I passed it counterclockwise. Don't do that. That's not what you do. But I was, you can be confused about the right way for everything to happen. There also can be from some frustration. Why is that person always like that? Why are they always late? Why? Because they're God's gift to earth. And they can do whatever they want. Why is that person so loud? They only have one volume and it's not quiet. Why are they getting a divorce? What? Why do they always have to bring 
all the attention on themselves. But in spite of all these things, hopefully there's a bond. Because here's the thing, I can call my family crazy all day long, but you better not. I reserve that right. Because I love them, and they're my family, and I plan on being a part of their family for a really long time. And so in spite of all the crazy and the friction and all that stuff, there's a bond there. You know, the Word of God often talks about the church like a family. As a family, that's the reason why I call you my family. And I don't just say that. It's not just a cliche term. I consider the body of Christ my family. This is what it says. This is a verse that talks about it. Hebrews 2.11. Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. Look, here at the, at the table of this church, we have all these elements. I mean, we've got love, but we, we've got some friction, and we've got some confusion, and we've got some frustrations that happen around our church. Uh, we've had people that have, have left our church for different reasons. Maybe somebody offended them, maybe I offended them. Uh, maybe, maybe they just got hurt by somebody, or maybe they didn't like a decision that we made as a church, and so they're just, they, they're out, but from time to time, people will say, well, we're, there's just, your church has got too big. This church has got too big. And that one always perplexes me. I remember when I first got over here to Cabot, and we actually had a pretty strong church, like three, 400 folks when I first got here. And, but I remember people coming and telling me, like, hey, we, we made the decision we're going to start coming to your church because the church we were at just was getting too big. And I remember thinking, well, they must not have been a family to you. Because I don't understand how you value a family less the bigger it gets. Like, I don't get how you just start saying, like, that family just got way too many kids. We ain't hanging out around them anymore. They're our family. I don't care. We're not hanging out around them. You're done. But I, I, I remember thinking, I even said this a few times, I, I, I could get kind of aggressive sometimes. I'd be like, you know, what was too big about it? Like just like too many marriages getting healed and restored and too many te- teenagers <laughs> getting excited about the things of God. And, you know, too many people finding purpose. <laughs> too many cars in the parking lot. I remember thinking, you know, if you want a parking spot like right up next to the church, I can tell you about five or six churches. You got free access, plenty of parking. But are they going to be a family? Because here's the thing. You're going to have conflict in a family. You're going to have some things that make you feel a little uncomfortable from time to time. But when that happens, we can't let the relationships be destroyed because of the conflict. We have to value those relationships. Hold on to the bond. But here at our table of our church, we we got confusion. It can be confusing walking in here, trying to understand everything that's going on, especially if you haven't grown up around this kind of church. Walking, well, they got coffee, but they take it in the sanctuary. Yes, we do. Why don't the pastors wear suits? 
Why doesn't the choir wear choir robes? And where is the stained glass? Why does everyone have questions during worship? <laughs> Little questions, big questions, two questions. We have frustration. Computers go out for the kid check-in. Traffic in the parking lot. A company with hand gestures from some of y'all. I've asked the parking team, hey, how's it going, everybody? Be nice to y'all? They're like, ah, mostly. I'm like, what do you mean? I think, ah. We're number one, apparently, to some of them. I haven't quite heard that combination of cuss words before, but it was creative. And, and I'm just like, well, I'm really glad we're a church for the lost. Amen. <laughs> Praise God. I appreciate you guys giving our parking team some grace. Can we hear it for our parking team? Come on, man. Y'all need, need to show them some love. Like, just like crack your window a little bit. Thank you. You know, like even if it's raining outside and give them a hand gesture, give them like nice ones, like thumbs up or hey, or blow them a little kiss. Thomas Pack would love that. He, he loves that kind of thing. <laughs> We've got a bond though. And we all need friends. There's a lot of stats out there about pastors that majority of pastors don't have a real sincere friend. I want you to know that is not me. I don't live that way. I got a lot of community around me. I've got close friends around me. But we all need that. We all need those relationships. A couple days ago, Pastor Rick just real quickly said, hey, I've got a little extra time. If you have a prayer request, comment. Within minutes, hundreds of prayer requests started populating. And I saw this, and I'm like, man, I'm going to get on. I got, I'm going to start covering some of these. Because um, Pastor Rick said that every one of them would be prayed for, but what the thought I had was, man, we need each other. Another thought I had, too, at the same time, was I wonder if all the people that are commenting have someone else that they were able to tell. Have they found their place at the table have they bought into the bond of believers? Or are they occupying a chair that really isn't connected yet? We need the body of Christ in this bond. There's a big myth, and that is only successful people sit at the table with Jesus. The big myth is that only the the spiritually elite get to sit at the table with Jesus. The only those people that are strong tithers change diapers for Jesus for years and years and years. That only those people are good enough to sit at the table with Jesus. But that's just not biblical. I want to look at who are the people that Jesus invited to the table with him. 
Matthew 10, 2 gives the account of the disciples. Who were they? These are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, who was called Peter, and his brother Andrew, James, son of Zebedee, his brother John, Philip, and Bartholomew, Thomas, and Matthew, the tax collector. Notice that's the first time in the listing of it they gave an occupation with the name. That's important. James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, okay, now that's describing a personality trait, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. First person I want to talk about is Matthew, the tax collector. Now this is significant because Matthew is writing this about himself. What I love about the Bible is so often the people that are writing the books, they're exposing their biggest weaknesses. I think it's something that we can learn from. But he just comes right on and says, Matthew, and I was a tax collector. Who were the tax collectors? They were turncoats. That's what they called them. These were people, they were Jews that had turned their back on their own people. The Jews believe they turned their back on God to work for the Roman government to, rate, to, to gather taxes, to collect taxes. And these were the most hated and despised people in that culture because they would just throw out arbitrary numbers of taxes and if people didn't pay those taxes, they'd get turned into the Roman government and they'd be thrown in jail or prison, not have what they needed given to them. And so everyone despised these people, like criminals, hardened criminals, would encourage themselves by saying, well, at least we're not tax collectors. That's how bad these people were. Hated and despised by everyone around. They were considered the worst sinners in the culture. Some of you have walked away from God, and you feel unsuccessful spiritually and you feel like you don't deserve to even be anywhere around the table have any of you been unsuccessful spiritually before say driving on the highway when someone cut you off you were especially unsuccessful spiritually if you had a new life church sticker on the back of your car (laughs) when you responded Anybody ever been spiritually unsuccessful when their football team lost? Anybody ever been spiritually unsuccessful when someone just hurt you, offended you, you didn't get your way? Like none of us have arrived. None of us have arrived. And as we've said before, all of us have issues. And if you think that you don't have any issues, that's your issue, because we all have them. Matthew had some major issues, and he admitted them openly in the most famous book that was ever written. More people have read how big of a scumbucket he was than out of any other story or book. And Matthew got a place at the table with Jesus. So that means you can have a place. And some of you say, look, I'm not even interested in being at the table. I'm not interested in being around the things of God. That's okay. You're still invited. He still wants you there. Even when you reject him. And then there's Simon the Zealot. Simon the Zealot. Anybody ever 
seen anybody be zealous, um, say, on social media in an election year? Maybe ever see anybody just like passionate about their opinion and what they think about everything? Uh, well, Simon, he was zealous because he wanted Israel to be sovereign. He wanted Israel to be governed by itself and not by the Roman Empire. And so these were like, in some respects, the, the, the Romans consider these guys terrorists because they go around and just try to mess up the Romans' plans anywhere and everywhere they could. These guys, the zealots, hated the Romans, which also meant they hated tax collectors because the tax collectors work for the Romans. Matthew and Simon sitting at the same table with Jesus. Jesus is the hope of the world. Jesus can bring together and heal what nothing else can. So please don't put your hope in an inauguration that's happening. That's not gonna be where you find it. Has anybody watched Congress lately? Anybody ever watched C-SPAN before? <laughs> it used to be really uninteresting. Now it's one of the most entertaining things you can watch for all the wrong reasons. Because those people hate each other. Like it's not just about their, it's not just ide their ideology anymore. It's like they treat each other like they were deeply betrayed. So offended, they hate each other. Only Jesus can heal that. Only Jesus can bring two opposing forces like that to a place of reconciliation, which is one of the reasons why we have to seek his face and pray and fast. Maybe some of you, you call yourself a Christian, but you know someone else that calls themselves a Christian, but you can't stand them. And you can't stand them. And maybe you can't stand them because they hurt you, or maybe you can't stand them because they're just really weird. And you don't like being around them. And I believe the Lord is saying, pull a chair up and offer forgiveness like Jesus did to you. Because the word says, to the level and extent to which you offer forgiveness, the same forgiveness will be given to you. So I think it's important that we offer that. Judas Iscariot, I don't know if you thought about this or not. Judas was the most trusted disciple at the table with Jesus. You know how I know that? He was the bookkeeper. He was the treasurer. He managed all the money. So he was the most trusted person at the table. Like the disciples would probably say something like this, well, at least we know that we have this unshakable integrity and steadfastness in Judas. You're not gonna trust somebody with the money of the ministry unless they show that they have that kind of integrity. You're, like, you're not gonna give the money to Bernie Madoff or, or Bill Belichick, a cheater. You're not gonna give it to those kind of people. So, mm. <laughs> Half of you appreciate that. 
the other half like, we're finding a new church, baby. We didn't, they didn't see Judas the way we see Judas because we have full context. We know the whole story. And so before you would say, man, I would never sit at the table with Judas. Remember that Jesus did. And, and remember that even though the disciples didn't know everything that Judas was going to do, Jesus knew what he was going to do and washed his feet knowing it and invited him to come sit at the table. And I believe this. If Judas had not killed himself, if Judas would have stayed in the game, he would have been back at the table. Because when Jesus rose from the grave and you began to see the disciples, one of the first things he said was, and find Peter. He made an emphasis, find Peter. Why? Because he knew that Peter was eaten up inside because of what he had done in betraying Jesus. And I believe that if Judas had not killed himself, Jesus would have said, go find Peter and find Judas too. And he would have invited him back to the table. And I'm completely convinced that Judas would have served Jesus for the rest of his life. You know why? Because when you encounter that kind of grace and love, it ruins you. And those were the types of people that Jesus invited to the table. And then there's Thomas. Thomas is the most skeptical person in the room. You guys know any skeptics around you? Like, it doesn't matter how positive you're trying to be, how great news you have. They're just like, no, it can't be. Man, I played a really good game of golf today. Don't believe it. Couldn't happen. No, you didn't. Remember a while back, I was at the gym. I was talking with somebody, and somebody walked up, and they said, hey, this is James. He's my pastor. The guy's like, no, he isn't. He's like, no, he, he is. He's like, no, he ain't. I'm like, sir, I, prom- I, I am. I'm a, I'm a pastor. He's like, no, nope. no, you're not. I'm like, sir, I promise I'm a pastor. Like, I, I can get a business card. I don't know. I'm a pastor. I'm like, can't be. You're too young. And this guy, like, I, I'm like, well, I don't, I'm not argue with you. And, this guy, and then another person came out. He's like, hey, aren't you the pastor of New Life Church? And I'm like, well, I thought I was, but... <laughs> According to this guy, I can't be. <laughs> we all have to deal with people like that. Those people who doubt. Those people that struggle with their faith. Thomas is like this the whole time during the ministry, but just always like, I don't know. I don't know, Jesus. I don't know. He doubted. And then when Jesus was arrested and beaten and crucified and, and, and placed in a grave, don't you think that would have caused a little more doubt because they had all believed that Jesus was going to come and, and, and set him free from Roman rule and, they, and now he's dead. And then when he rose from the grave and he goes around proving to the disciples that he's alive and Thomas wasn't even there, then when Thomas finally shows up, Thomas is like, uh-uh, uh-uh. no, it ain't you. You aren't him. You're not Jesus. He had to touch him physically. Where's the other scar? Okay. All right. Jesus invited doubters to the table. Jesus invited skeptics. You ever struggle with your faith? It's so discouraging when you've been believing and praying for so long that God would give you a child, you finally get pregnant. 
and then you miscarry. Don't you think that there's some doubt that can come in then? Or you've been taking fertility pills forever and everybody around you is getting pregnant. Everybody. And you just wind up feeling, you're just wasting money. Or everyone else's kid just seems to love Jesus. They're all up on Facebook and Instagram showing videos of their kid praising God and reading the Bible and you can't get your kid to pray over the meal. It can get easy to doubt. And yet Jesus said, hey, doubter, you're not going to believe half the things that I tell you without proof. And I want you to sit with me. I want you to come to my table. Who does Jesus want sitting at his table? Next week, I want to talk about how to find your place at the table. But you're going to ask the question, am I good enough? The answer is, none of us are. How do you get there? We'll talk about it. I want to read this. I'm going to close with this scripture. In Luke 14, verse 16, this is Jesus telling a parable to the Pharisees. You have to understand the context. If you really want to understand the importance of something that Jesus is communicating, you need to know who he's talking to because who he's talking to is this group of people that think it's about how good you are think it's about obeying all the rules, even though none of them could. It's about the, the way you look, the way you, all these things, that, that those are the things that really get you around the table with God. And so he tells this story. Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests at the same time, or at the time of the banquet. He sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I I bought a a field and and I I gotta go see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, "I, I must go get married. So I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry Order a servant, then go out quickly into the streets and the alleys and the town and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told the servant, go out to the roads, the country lanes, and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. The only way you get to the table is recognizing you're lame, you're blind, you're poor. I mentioned the kids' table earlier. You remember the kids' table? It's like some little plastic, rickety table. Like, you'd always be spilling stuff and they get mad at you. You're like, get us a better table, you know? But you're sitting at this table and you remember the only, how, how did you get moved from the kids' table to the adult table. How did that happen? Somebody had to die. This year you get to sit with the adults. Oh, who passed away? Who died? Who died? 
Somebody died so you could sit at the table too. The only way that you can sit at the table is understanding that it's because he died. And that because he died, he died because you you weren't good enough. But he said you were worth it. He wants you to come to the table. After Jesus rose from the grave, his disciples are all depressed and bummed out. At one point, a group of them are walking along this road to a place called Emmaus. It's just kind of like kicking dirt. So discouraged, they can't even lift their head. Just And Jesus comes up and he says, hey, why are you guys so bummed? Paraphrasing. And they're like, Jesus, or don't you know? Are you the only person around here who doesn't know what happened? What's wrong with you? We are sad and bummed. And you don't know. And they stayed that way. They didn't even recognize who was standing in front of them. But later on, they sat down to eat a meal. And it was at the table with Jesus they could see him. I think that that's a good word for some of you. If you'll come and sit at the table, find your place at the table, you're going to see Jesus more clearly than you've ever seen him before. It's going to encourage you. You're going to find purpose. Let's all stand together. Here in a second, Ethan, everybody say, hey, Ethan. He's, he's our worship pastor here. And, uh, a little while back, he found this song, and uh, it just relates exactly to the subject of, of finding your place at the table. We'll say the song is not, it's not like a worship song that any of us are going to be familiar with, but I do believe that it can be a time of worship. And then some, might be a couple of you that know it. I don't know. We're going to put the words on the screen, but the point is for you to just contemplate the words. Consider where you are in relation to the table. Like, are you at the table with Jesus? Have you answered the invitation? Have you admitted, okay, I may be blind and poor and crippled, but but I'm gonna find wholeness at the table of Jesus. I wanna pray and then we're gonna listen to the song. Father, I just pray that you would move during this moment. I thank you that your spirit's here. And we just want you to have your way. So have your way, Father.